Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Richard Edwards is known for his work with Marco and the Nuclear So-and-Sos. A large, sprawling compendium of artists and personalities that all centers on Richard, the eye of the storm. He wouldn't say that, but come on. He's made solo records over the last handful of years. During COVID, he was incredibly active. He does not do a lot of interviews, and he is often misunderstood as being someone who's cranky, difficult. You know what? I say that he's misunderstood, and he is all of those things, but those things don't define him or limit him. Sure, he's cranky. A lot of people are cranky. Of course, he's difficult. He has a strict artistic vision, and he wants to see it through. But he's also really sweet and kind and funny and generous. I know that's a word I use a lot. I'm very lucky when I make these wheels off podcasts that um, I'm able to speak with really generous people. That's the whole point. They're giving their time not just to talk about like a new record or or appear on some multi-million listener platform. They're talking to me about the concept of creativity, the concept of art, the uh, ineffable beauty that is making something out of nothing. And Richard Edwards has been doing that for years and years. He's younger than I am, but he feels like a very old soul. He's dealt with a lot of health issues over the last decade. Um, A bad gut is how it might be described. Some very mysterious stuff that's been ongoing and it's not completely uh, fixed yet. It has kept him off the road for a number of years, but it hasn't kept him from creating really beautiful music from being a good dad, from being a a good friend. And he is all those things and more. I'm really lucky that he agreed to speak with me for Wheels Off. If you're a Richard Edwards fan, you're probably jumping up and down with excitement to hear, you know, 40 minutes of Richard Edwards' deepest, darkest secrets. Okay, he maybe he doesn't tell his deepest, darkest secrets, but he does get very real, and I really appreciate it. I'll give you a technical heads up for about the first five minutes of our conversation. He had his email alert notification sound turned on. So uh, a couple of times you'll hear a really loud ping, and then you will hear Richard and I discuss how one goes about turning off that sound notification. And then he turned it off and it never happens again. Um, It's a lot of fun. I really love Richard and I love getting to chat with him about his... uh, Deepest, darkest secrets, all revealed. Enjoy Richard Edwards on Wheels Off. 
Welcome to Wheels Off, Richard Edwards. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Rhett, for having me. It's very nice to see you and to speak to you. I know. Well, I, I say us, really. It's just me and you on our little Zooms. From where are you uh, logging in? I'm in Indiana right now, wrapping up some kiddo time and finishing up a few things. It seems like you have been um, prolific and busy and hardworking during the COVID. I feel like you've you've released a number of different things and stayed super active. Does it feel that way for you? It's too much so, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you, you know a little of my history, but I, I haven't toured for a long time. So my COVID wasn't, sorry about this, stupid thing. Um, my COVID wasn't necessarily this huge lifestyle change, but for some reason I did use it as an excuse to make like four records that I couldn't afford to make. And um, <laughs> so now's the, yeah, now I'm pivoting to trying really hard to like curb that part of my addictive personality and not make anything and just try to make money or something. <laughs> yeah. You might be the only artist that I've spoken to who's trying to not make anything. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got to work on that. I don't know. I've got to find a balance and, and I'm trying to find a balance as I get older, but it, but yeah, it doesn't seem to be happening super, super uh, easily for me, but. Well, you sort of short-circuited my first line of questioning, but you probably have an answer for this knowing you, what creative project are you working on right now and how does it light you up? Oh man. Well, I'm not really the light up kind of guy with this stuff. It stresses <laughs> me out, but I've just finished a record, which I'm almost positive I sent you. Um, I, I'm finishing a book that may or may not ever come out. I'm finishing, well, I'm not finishing, but I'm working on a screenplay that may never come out. So I've, I just finished something that I think will come out. And now it's a lot of stuff that's not my, my main uh, skill set, but working at, I guess. Can you tell me about the book? Yeah, so um, I've been collecting like processed documents for the past, I guess, seven years since I made that first solo record. Mm -hmm. And I've been putting them together with another guy so that it's not too uh, myopic and solipsistic. And God, I'm sorry. Um, uh, and we've just been compiling basically like seven years of like processed paperwork and, and notes into this sort of. Um, process book, I guess. I'm not really sure what it is, but it's like, it's kind of a version of something I really enjoy reading about filmmakers I like or, or musicians and hopefully very like nuts and boltsy about the process of making the things and not too like, um, I'm not sure how to say it, like not a lot of, uh, God, I don't know how to silence this stupid thing. I think if you go up to the Apple and go to preferences and go to sound, <clears throat> Okay, sound. let me do that real quick before you get any further, because my emails are not stopping for this. Uh, I know you're very popular in our in our house. Whenever somebody's phone, uh, it's, like, a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of uh, my daughter's shopping. <laughs> uh, alert volume. Okay, here we go. All right, sweet, nice. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to make. And again, I don't even know if it'll come out, but trying to put together this book that's not like real hotty or silly or autobiographical that's just like processed stuff which i really like I, i'm kind of a sucker for that stuff 
Um, sure. Are these like uh, diary style notes or these like tracks, track listing kind of? Um, it's like a lot of like lyric revision stuff. I've, yeah. Like ah. I've made all the chart sheets for like all the records. Like I keep very meticulous notes of like exactly what effects were being used, what, what the chain was on uh, uh, pedals and even outboard gear. And I started doing that when I did the one with Rob um, just because it was like a, great excuse to learn a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And I kind of just kept doing it. So yeah, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, right now we're just in the, in the process of trying to pare it back a little bit because it's gotten very long and uh, just trying to figure out if it's compelling to anyone but myself. <laughs> <laughs> if it's to me, I don't know. Um, there's a thing that you will do occasionally on social media I mean, I guess we we've done this, you and I, and and uh, in real life, but you do it on social media, and I really admire it. Where you'll call somebody out on their uh, lyrics, like somebody will release, oh, okay. and it's honestly, I gotta say, it is to me, it's such a breath of fresh air because there's so much ass kissing in the world, and really? and 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 I really respect it because. When you'll say that, I'll go and I'll re-listen to something. And I'll be like, and it's not just lyrics. Sometimes it's melody. Like there was one artist that you called out on his lazy melodies. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that is exactly right. But it also inspires me to like, I want to pass a test. I know you would not uh, test me and you're not testing. You're just yeah. an artist commenting, but that's good. Well, job. I hope that, I hope that A, there's plenty that I could be called out for on that. <laughs> B, I, I almost only do it when I'm being aggressively attacked with someone's work. For instance, I, I'm being silly about it. I don't wish to many yell, and I have no real opinion about Arcade Fire. But every day I was just being bombarded with ads. And the ads weren't just like, get our new record. They were just quoting their lyrics as if they were super duper proud of them. And the, maybe there's better ones on the records, but the ones that they were quoting were like, it almost was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anger more arcade fire fans than <laughs> they were so almost like they were joking like it was a parody of them or something like so grandiose and yet so unable to articulate that vision of the world and i just felt it's like when you go on instagram and every post that's being suggested to you is that girl from euphoria yeah it's like i have nothing i have no problem with that poor girl from euphoria i'm sure she's amazing but there is a very Mulholland Drive kind of this is the girl aspect of it. Like, so, and I know enough about this to know that there are people pushing that person's image on all of us. There's a label pushing this new arcade fire. So I guess maybe it's more about being like bombarded by their marketing department than it is about the poor guy in that band who I'm sure is a lovely person. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> I don't mean. Shitty, no, no, but. no. It, it's almost like it's a, a commentary on the dystopian future that we're living in, right? This well, it kind of is. The only people that get through are the ones that that get whoever the label they're on to pay five thousand dollars Instagram and Facebook to show us those lyrics every day. So it's funny. This is not normally where it goes uh, in these conversations, but I'm I'm interested if you don't mind. That it seems to me like you and maybe I've done this a little bit too, and and a handful of our friends and people we know and admire, you have kind of created a fan base that is fervent and loyal and 
so instead of pushing having a label push you onto strangers it's like you've got this large group of ersatz friends or whatever that are willing to buy you know everything you put out and support you and love you as an artist does that make sense yeah there's some of that i mean i think to be completely honest i need to find a way to expand that group of people um even slightly would make my life a little easier but i'm very lucky that i do have this really seemingly i don't want to say unshakable because i could do something horrible and shake them but more or less unshakable group of people who who care about what i make and are in it for the long run and that's great for me because i find i like interacting with people and i really like the side of like the running a label side of making the things and putting stuff together but i don't like i hate marketing my my records i hate sending them to press i hate talking about i don't mind talk, like talking to you is fun because i've known you and we're friends and but i i need to find a balance because if i turn down everybody who wants to talk about the records and if i don't send them out anywhere it's hard to complain when they don't sell uh but yeah i just find that part of the job Ugh, just boring and crass and silly and i've always did i mean i i look back on interviews i did when my band was somewhat important or up and coming and and god i it didn't seem like i wanted to do it then either and as i get older i should figure that out because it's part of the job and it's probably a responsibility but i i'm sure you feel some of that too it's like some of that it's just so gross and like especially now with algorithmic sort of aspect of all this stuff it just feels like a game that i'm not interested in playing and not only am i not interested in playing it just feels actively kind of soul sick to me um so I, yeah i haven't figured out a solution for that but what's kind of funny to me is that it it isn't what we signed up for right and it's become the whole thing i mean you talk about the whole thing yeah. the younger artists it's only follower counts you know um so there was some some a and r guy that which i don't end up talking to a lot of a and r guys but his he was like yeah so i went and i looked in their twitter followers and their instagram followers and okay. TikTok followers he goes and then they got a uh, only fans page oh my god <laughs> now that's what i should do because i'd be great at that uh it might that might alienate some of the people who care about me, but I do think I could do that. Um, oh God, <laughs> well, <it's kind> of, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I don't quite know how to process that, but I will continue trying for the rest of the conversation. I, you know, it's a little off the beaten path of what we're saying, but I, I talk to my, my daughter sends me her playlist all the time, which I love that she does that. Um, she'll text me just all the songs she's listening to. Some record, it may have been Drake or someone, I don't know. Um, she kind of made it known that everyone decided the record stuck. Yeah. Like on the day it came out, you know. I heard that. My, just my... Decided. <laughs> and I remember kind of that happened with the Billie Eilish thing, and then maybe people changed. But I asked her, I just said, you know, do you guys ever change your minds? And I said, no, not really. Like we all kind of decided, the hive mind decided it sucked. And I was kind of talking to her about, like, you know, when I was young, I would buy a CD and and some of my favorite things were things that I didn't love at the beginning. You know, my most pleasurable experience with any art is sort of that slow falling in love process. And I kind of was without being 
super dad about it. I was kind of saying like some of this stuff is made to be revisited. You know, it's not made to have a snap judgment, but I feel like that's everything now. We just decide on the day it comes out, like we've chewed that bubble gum time for the next piece. And like, that's a deeply unhealthy way for a culture to, to uh, flourish and thrive. I think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it, it doesn't totally relate to like algorithms, but there does seem to be, I don't know what it is, what, how to describe what that phenomenon is. Well, it's part of the same problem, right? It's like, how does a culture expect an artistic uh, component of that culture to not only flourish, but maybe even survive at all. If, if you change the job description to be not creating art, but marketing, you know, marketing in the face of an AI that's making it impossible. And then, and then the, the culture itself is so self-hating that whenever it's reflected back upon itself by the artists that are, whose job it is to reflect it back. Take it very personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, just enough about what I do to know that my, my ethos is probably at this point, hopelessly out of fashion with young people, which is, I believe that reflecting ugliness is part of the job. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer that human nature is something that if it does change at all, it changes very slowly. It doesn't change by virtue of deciding one day that it's changed. And as we see in the sweeping changes that are happening to our country right now, us like constantly classifying each other's micro evils does nothing to structurally address a group of people who are far more disciplined in their goal of making life harder for everybody, but certainly people who are already much more disadvantaged than I am, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think the kids are doing a lot right, but there's a few things that might reflect on a little differently when there's some gray hairs. Um, skipping over the the larger bleakness to the early bleakness oh. about your, your career concerns, I will take a sidebar just to say that if anybody's created a body of work that might be discovered by a larger, maybe younger group later, I, 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 there's nobody better than you because I feel like everything oh. you've done, you've got, you've got a level of honesty and quality that is going to speak for itself in all the decades to come. But well, that's that, that couldn't mean more to me to hear you say that. And I I do find A, yeah, my my if I have any goal, it's honesty. And and I've been very lucky that I do seem to be in a band or musician like that where there are always kids that are getting into it or and it's really cool. I mean I, I've never that's it's one of the coolest reasons to do any of this stuff, but they've got to hurry up a little bit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> remember when they did broad ripple on american idol didn't that wasn't that a million dollars that right there or was it the yeah, right yeah i think i made less from that than one day of, of streaming <laughs> my my re-recorded version of that song uh but the young woman who did it is incredible and i've, I've stayed in touch with her and i've followed her musical career going forward and that in and of itself is kind of beautiful and cool her name's kayla michelson and she's in nashville and uh, she's always making music and yeah, it's incredible. And, and poor kid, she had to come up in a world where the only way to get a toehold was to go on freaking a TV game uh, show. I know. And I don't know how any, again, I was, I don't want to sound too like an old man, but I know, I know. I don't know how anybody does it now because it seems like every avenue 
and there are new ones. I mean, I'm not a total Luddite. I think there's stuff about the internet that's incredible. And if I had had some of these tools when I was young, I would have been very excited. But so many of the tools that were open to me when I was younger and it just seemed totally shut. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Jeez, you probably wouldn't drive an old school bus out on tour. <laughs> well, knowing <laughs> I probably would still do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Knowing you, that's true. So speaking of which, those those crazy early days, do you remember when you decided that this was it for you? Was there an epiphany moment when you knew that you were going to be a rock and roll singer songwriter? Or was there something else? Did you think you were going to do films and then you backed your way into this or something? I knew pretty early. So I, yeah, my youngest aspiration was probably to be a director. And it was just because I was a little kid and I was obsessed with, um, I think I've told the story before, but when I was like 12 or 13, I wrote letters to like every director that I could find an address for. And my name is Richard Edwards. I'm going to be a writer director. I wondered if you had any advice for someone like me. Uh, and the only, only response I got was Steven Spielberg's office. And they just said it was a dictated letter, but they just said, like, Stephen is so happy to hear from kids like you who want to follow in his footsteps, you know, your friends at Amblin Entertainment or whatever. And there was like a sign. He signed a picture that I still have somewhere. But that was the only thing I got. And I went I kept on that for a couple of years and I write these little movies and I I'd make my friends be them and my cousins. But then I'd say when I was about 13 or 14, I don't know exactly the moment, but that's when I knew that from that moment forward, I didn't have any, any other aspirations or any backup plans or anything. Um, I spent all day and all night writing songs. I didn't, I didn't go to parties when I was in middle school and high school. I was very, very, very freakishly dedicated to, to working hard at it. Um, and I was very perversely proud of that. Like I was proud that I was the kid that wasn't out every Friday night that I was working, um, yeah, and I don't know how well it served me, but I did improve somewhat doing that. <laughs> it was in middle uh, middle school you said that started. Yeah, I think so. I think I was it definitely was like fifth or sixth grade. And that was around the time. So I I again like sending out letters to directors. I sent out they used to have that billboard guide to touring magazine. I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Orders at Barnes and Noble and it would give you the names and addresses of venues and labels. And I would just send demos all day, every day from my house when I was 13 or 14. And when I was 15 or 16, this guy named Rob that owned Luna Lounge in Manhattan, uh, Manhattan, it sounds like you can't pronounce Manhattan, um, on Ludlow, called my parents' house. And is Richard Edwards there? I was eating dinner. So yeah, someone from Rob from New York is calling you. And he was amazing. He said, I got your demo. I'd love you to come out to New York and play the club. Here's some dates. So my friends and I got in the back of an actual pickup truck with no seatbelts <laughs> and we went and played to two or three people in Manhattan. I think we booked like a pay to play show in New Jersey, a couple things where we could pre pretend it was a tour and, uh, and no one showed up, but we played our set. And then Rob sat with me in a bar that I was not old enough to be in for four or five hours and just talked to me about what it takes to, you know, here's, I think you have like a very advanced melodic sense for a kid your age. Here's some stuff you should work on. And it was incredible. This is like supposed to be the meanest city in the world. And it opened up to me in a way that forever it became my city in that way. I was always there when I was on tour. And whenever I was there, 
it, it just worked for me. And, and so from that moment forward, he gave me the confidence, I think of like, yeah, I'm going to do this forever, you know, and no matter what happens, I'm going to devote myself to it. Did you stay in touch with him? I don't, but I, I did get a hold of him. I think I got a hold of him when they had to move or they sold for the first time. Cause that it wasn't super long for like that location. Yeah. Price wise. If you're booking people like me, you're not going to last <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of Greenwich for too long or wherever it was at the beginning. Um, so I think they tried to save it by moving at some point. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I totally lost track, but I, I wish so much that he knew how much that, that meant to me because it was definitely one of the three or four things in my life that was, that was super formative, you know? That's awesome. My sense is though, that you, you pay it forward. Like I, I see you interacting with other artists. I see you in the people, the musicians you perform with and producers you work with. It seems like you've always been really generous and supportive. I really try to, um, yeah, I'm not sure what all I can do, but I'm always happy to try. Um, a lot of the bands and artists that I really love are people that are kind of like you and me. There's like a cult following and you kind of don't understand why it's not so much bigger than it is. It's like so many of these women in Nashville, I've come to really love um, their music. This woman, Tristan, who I was turned on to by my friend, Aaron Ray, Aaron Ray's music. And uh, God, so many others. I feel like everything I ever buy on Bandcamp is a woman from, from Nashville that gives me like my trio record dopamine that i'm always missing um but yeah i try as best i can but again i'm not sure how how helpful it is um well i need to ask you about your demons with whom i assume you're on first name basis um (laughs) i just you know everybody that i talk to every that does you know art creativity type stuff for a living uh, winds up having to face, you know, a certain number of really negative internal voices. And I wonder about what have you figured out when those get in your way? What have you figured out to sort of push through that? I don't have a ton of, of, of that that inhibits my creativity. I deal with a lot of like anxiety and, and, and stuff that I think is probably pretty prevalent in in creative types at least most of the people i know seems like that's that's a battle that they they face but i don't um that stuff for me i I tend to view a little more positively like um you know i I tend to develop an antagonistic relationship with past work very quickly that could be described as a, a demon but but to me that's a very functional that's the only way I know how to, to do better and to challenge myself is to divorce myself from what I did. You know, like to me, there's nothing more dangerous to, to improving than becoming satisfied or pleased with yourself. So yeah, for some people, I, I do think that would be a source of like, that's negative self-talk or like that's, but it's served a really positive purpose for me. So maybe that's my general kind of outlook is like a lot of that stuff I try to view it like I remember being 13 or 14 and, and, and I never, I never talked to God and felt like it was working, but I do remember this vivid moment of like, please let this work for me and I'll do anything. I'll do whatever, you know, this like deal with the devil, but with hopefully it was, I was trying to do it with the other person. (laughs) Just like, all I want is to be a songwriter. Just make this happen, please. And I, I was like 13. So when things happen now or I'm overcome with anxiety or negative, 
it's part of that deal you made back then, you know, and I want to be healthier and I want to be good for my child and good for my partner and good for my friends. But a little of that brain is sort of part of the deal you make. Um, and it's it, maybe some people don't like that answer because it maybe seems like normalizing negativity or something, but you can't have everything, right? Like I, I, I can't have all this work that comes from my stupid brain and get rid of all that stuff in my brain. It just doesn't work that way. So I can, I can try to, to work at being better with anxiety or I can try to work at being more present for, not for my kid. Cause I'm all, I feel like that, that's not really a challenge for me, but more present in friendships or more selfless in partnerships. Um, I can work on those tangible things, but to, to to think I'm going to change my mind or my brain to me is like, that's goes back to the human nature thing. I just don't, that's not how I think people are really. Um, maybe some are, you know, it's, well, I, I love, I love the, the way that you describe um, when you run up against negative stuff or, or, you know, or criticism of your past work or whatever you use it, you like, you learn how to not just let it be something negative, but you let it be something that drives you to get better. And I also, you bring up a really interesting point that I think about a lot and comes up in these conversations, some, which is sort of that fine line between accepting the inevitability of, I don't want to say a brokenness, but like, a darkness maybe in, in artistic people, the fine line between that and then like fetishizing straight up narcissistic personality disorder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is it's your responsibility to take your work really seriously, but you have an equal opportunity or an equal obligation to not take yourself seriously. Right. So my, I have my my grandmother passed away a few weeks ago and it was the first person in my family who's passed away for whom I felt this like insane, like soul connection. And I have so much of her like maudlin bullshit in me, but I I was just reflecting a lot on her life because obviously it was so sad and it was terrible. You know, I got 87 years with her, which is incredible. But um, I was trying to think like what separates me from Lorraine, you know, like, because I have so much of that, that pessimism in me or whatever. And at the end of the day, people are saved or doomed by their fucking sense of humor. You know, as much of the darkness as I have, I have like an equally dark sense of humor. And every day that's a more dominant thing in my life than the part of me that wants to go curl up in a ball or something. Like it doesn't take long to get me laughing about anything screwed up in my life or in, in, in the world. And the second part of that is, um, Oh my God, I feel so terrible for forgetting this young woman's name. Uh, another one of these, I think Nashville. Who's the young woman that just did the, she did a Bob Dylan covers album that's really beautiful called Blonde on the Tracks. I think. Oh she's yeah, Emma, Emma Swift. Yeah. Emma Swift. Yeah, I follow her on Twitter because I, I really loved that record. And um, she had a, a, a long post during COVID that was like what you said, like, we need, we need to not be fetishizing like like she's in a really happy relationship it seems like we need not be fetishizing like being in an unhealthy relationship or breaking up to make good art and on one hand i agree with her but on the other hand i don't it's like yeah i don't want to sabotage a marriage or someone a relationship with someone i love to make music i would never do that but the reality is things happen in life and you choose to use the whole animal of that pain or you choose to like put it somewhere else where you don't have to smell it, you know? Um, 
so yeah, my, my, I guess it's just a long-winded way of saying my philosophy has always been part of your job. If you claim to be a writer of any kind is to use the bones of like the things that happened to you. Yeah. And you hope that someone else recognizes themselves in that moment of pain or that moment of humor or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying exactly, but it just seems like that's as much part of the gig as like anything really. That's funny that you brought up the idea of I, it's the friends of mine that are like super big Richard Edwards fans, um, which um, the, the biggest misconception that I feel like is out there about you is that you're this really dark person. Right. Whatever. Sure. Of course, of course there's darkness, but, I, but right. I, I think what, what I've, when I've disabused people of that as your entire personality, it's always to say that you just, you've got this fantastic sense of humor and it's, it's also dark, but it's very much still a sense it's of It's very humor. dark, but it is very much a sense of humor. And yeah, yeah that's funny that you say that. Cause I, I feel like I, especially when I was able to do some shows after my illness, I, I was really making a point to like, go out afterwards and shake people's hands and thank them. And, and uh, that did seem to be always the thing is like uh, people, I guess people don't expect me to be funny or, or to be like <laughs> whatever. And um, I do think there's a lot of humor in my music, especially later on as I learned to integrate that more efficiently. But yeah, I guess there's also a lot of stuff about hard things in life, which aren't always a, a gut busting riot <laughs> to me you're still sometimes a gut busting riot so uh I, i've i've spent a little time with ellie your daughter and i know that you pride yourself on being a good dad and thinking about all this kind of stuff and i wonder if you would be willing to try and distill some of this this wisdom that you've accrued over all the years imagining a 21 year old version of richard <sighs> edwards having oh. to having to deal with today's world 2022 uh what advice would you give that young your version of you oh man don't do any drugs that make you go faster drugs that make you go slower are okay in moderation uh um oh man Th yeah that first one is probably the big one uh, <laughs> uh um I guess I would try to enjoy it a little bit more than I did. I mean, that sounds like maybe some bullshit, like my, my worst quality is I try so hard. It's like, <laughs> uh, I think I was so, I was so like creatively restless that I was always looking for a reason to like break up the band and start something new. Or like, I, I saw the parts of it that were bullshit so much more clearly than I saw the parts of it that were so rare and joyful and incredible that I got to do. I mean, I remember just like, there's nothing I hate more than like having to do Lollapalooza when we had it or, you know, Conan and stuff like that's okay. Cause it's a cool, he's so nice and it's a cool experience, but anything like that, I just, I had this sense of like, God, this is such bullshit. And it's so silly. And maybe looking back, I wish I had just sort of giggled and given a little bit more, but then I say that, but if I did that, I, that's not my personality. So it goes back to the, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I a little smarter about like uh, the people you involve yourself with musically, and a little smarter about you don't just have to gobble up a handful of everything people hand you also when you're tired, like because these things do come back to to bite you for a little minute. But um, yeah, I guess that stuff. You know, I've learned 
when it comes to the parenting thing, I, it all, it's also sounds like a cop out, but I grew up in a family with a mother who was so obsessed with like taking care of every child in the world, you know? So we always had kids that weren't our siblings being raised by my parents. So when I, I had a kid relatively young, I was in my mid twenties. Um, and now that's young, but you know, historically is not young, but um, it was never hard for me to get into that mode. It was just like, I love kids so much. I'm really suited for that. Like anyone could drop their kid off for a day and they'd have a fun time and I'd be a cool hang. Uh, I love, love, love parenting. It never felt like a sacrifice. I wasn't cut out for, or wasn't ready for. Um, yeah. I mean, you learn so much as you know about what actual unconditional love means and stuff like that that you never could know before it happens to you. But the parenting part of it, um, I think I was kind of always ready for that thing, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, to this day, it's like one of the great joys of my life is that relationship and how close it's always been and how it's never not been close. And at the end of my life, we all probably have to look at like, what are these five boxes? Did I check them adequately? And that's one for me that I just don't see myself having like a ton of regrets at the end about that. And maybe she might disagree, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's been the best part of my life for sure. And, and uh, I found it, it very comfortably resided next to my, my identity as a songwriter or anything like that. Um, yeah. It's funny, my uh, inevitably, as I'm doing these wheels off interviews, my my producers do a thing where after I upload the interview, um, I'm I'm done with it and they they get it and they trim it up and and they'll go through it and make a transcript and they pull quotes out. Now they might pull quotes and every once in a while somebody will say somebody will say something and I'll think, oh, that's going to be a great pull quote for the producers. And just now when you said anybody can. No, anybody, anybody can drop their kids off at my house. It'd be fun. I'd be a cool hang. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it is. But it's like, it really is that way. My, my friend Stephanie and her husband came through town on, on their way somewhere. And we had a Papa shot goal in my house for a little while. And uh, she and her husband wanted to play and just handed me the new baby. <laughs> in two seconds, the new baby was, I just have that gift. I have a certain, uh, I have a certain, uh i have the hormone for like babies smile at me i love it have a fun time and and uh they don't feel traumatized in my presence well i really appreciate all all of this and i feel like i could talk to you for uh, hours and um i will be this is not for the listeners but i'll be coming through indianapolis soon and i'll be tracking you down wherever you're at oh yeah well can't wait yeah, I've I've missed you, and this is a great way to get to catch up. Thank you so much for sharing your Thank time. You, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is awesome. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also. As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
Osiris. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.